Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. My pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. Don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites, Clark.com, ClarkDeals.com. So Americans love renting storage facilities, and it's something that the whole rest of the world shakes its heads at. Because we have average square footage per person in residential space that is the largest in the world. The average size of a house has gone up so much over the last two generations, even though the number of people per household has gone way down. But at the same time, in addition to our places we live, we have all these self-storage facilities. And there are any of a number of reasons why we would have them. The industry historically has rented to people who are going through some kind of life change, a relocation, somebody's passed away, uh, could be uh, you know a family splitting apart. There, uh, there are a number of reasons why people might rent a storage facility in addition to just having too much stuff and they store it. Well, one of my kids recently was... Uh, considering renting a storage facility for six months and shopped around and found such differences from one location to another, it was a stunner. And then the places would not leave her alone. Once she had uh, contacted someone, they were desperate to have her rent. And we're offering all kinds of discounts and deals and free months. And I was like, what's going on? Well, it turns out the big issue is the industry's gotten too big. According to industry data, the number of storage places has gone up 25% in about a 10-year period. And you look all around urban and suburban areas around the country, and you see these much bigger storage facilities being built, and many times at prime corners where they're visible, a lot of times at freeway exits, and so the industry has outgrown itself. And then I I saw an item in the New York Times that coronavirus has made a difference. And they don't really explain why they think coronavirus has made a difference. My guess is that people are shopping less. I mean, one of the reasons people buy so much stuff is that we have historically had the greatest amount of retail square footage in the world, three times larger per person than any other country in the developed world. So we have been a nation of shopaholics. And as I've shared with you, 
over the last several months, the amount of shopping we're doing has been going down, down, down. So if you have a storage facility that you're renting at, I know it's a hassle to move your stuff, but go reshop what you're paying. You'll find potentially much lower prices than what you're currently paying. You can go back to the people you're renting from and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to bail on you because I found a deal you know, right down the street for half of what you're charging, and odds are they can't afford to lose you, and they'll offer you a deal to keep you. If they say, okay, been nice knowing you, you'll have to make a decision. Is it worth the hassle to load your stuff up and move it down the street? But odds are just by you threatening to walk, you'll get a much better deal. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternating. Kim, who are we starting with? Today we're starting with Diane. She's from Texas and she says, my husband will be turning 65 in November of this year. And Happy we're trying birthday. To, aw, and we're trying to figure out the whole signing up for Medicare challenge. Since Clark recently turned 65, we'd love to hear his advice. Stuff like, what do we need to consider for additional coverage and what should we expect to pay? How did Clark sign up? And does he have any other tips? It would all be greatly appreciated. All right. So um, let me try to streamline how this works. So the alphabet's really key here. So you have Medicare A, Medicare B, and Medicare D. So A, you get for free just by breathing, and you apply for it 90 days before your birthday. And in your birthday month, the coverage starts on the first day of that month. B is the part you have to pay for, B as in boy. And A does not cover you adequately at all. You need B. So B, you'll pay a premium based on what your income has been, typically around, I think about 175 a month for most Americans, except for high-income earners that pay a high-income surcharge that can end up making it four times that price. Then Medicare D, Part D, is the prescription drugs. Odds are, as you go through your, uh, particularly your 70s and 80s, there could be a lot of drugs that would cost a lot of money. So having D is really valuable. Then there's the other thing, Medigap. Medigap covers a lot of the holes that traditional Medicare does not cover. Medigaps are sold by private organizations. If you're an AARP member, they're going to start bombarding you with offers for Medigap plans. The one that covers the most is Plan G, typically, but you can look, and they're alphabetized, and each uh, alpha is the same coverage from every single insurer. The difference is what you pay. So that's the quickest waterfront I can give. One other thing, there's a very controversial thing you can do with Medicare called getting an Advantage plan. Advantage plans reduce a lot of the out-of-pocket you pay, but have extreme restrictions on your care. It's like um, for people who don't like having somebody else tell you what care you're going to have and where you're going to get it and all the rest, if you don't like that, 
even though it may look cheaper up front, never not ever go near a Medicare Advantage plan. It's a bit like Hotel California also. You can check in, but you can never leave because if you later decide this was a terrible mistake to go in an Advantage plan, you get heavily penalized going to a traditional Medicare later. So did I put Kim and Joel asleep since you're each so, so far away from Medicare? What happened? Sorry, I did. (laughs) Okay, Joel, who do you have a question for? All right, this one's from Scott in Georgia. He says, Clark, I recently heard you mention on the podcast that you don't like the idea of rolling closing costs into a newly refinanced mortgage. My question is that, well, I currently have a 27 years left on my 30-year mortgage, but I can refinance into a 20-year, roll the closing costs into the new mortgage, save seven years overall, and my payment will be the same or maybe even a little bit less per month. And I'm not planning on selling the home anytime soon. So how is that a bad deal? How can I disagree with what you're saying? So if you if you want to do that, go ahead. But the key to making that work is that you don't decide to dump that home anytime soon. If you stay in that home for a substantial number of years, the fact that you will have increased your loan balance will not hurt you. It would only hurt you if you decided, oh, you know, like a couple of years now, yeah, I thought we were going to stay here, but we really want to move there. Then it would be a decision that would come back to bite you. But if you intend to stay in the home a long, long time, doing what you want to do would be a great idea with equivalent payment and seven years shaved off your loan. So go for it. Kim? Steve in Indiana says, I took my son to the eye doctor and they said that they needed my full social security number to look up my insurance eligibility. No. I've been going Yeah, I've been going to the same office for years and was never asked this before. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I may know what this is about. What? Okay, there are some employer-provided uh, eye plans that provide for a visit to the eye doctor and for discounts for the actual dispensing of contact lenses or glasses, and they are not covered because they're, they're not true insurance, they're reimbursement plans, they're not covered by the federal law that invalidates using Social Security numbers as identifiers. And some of these I plans out of an excess of laziness, use your Social Security number to generate your benefit. So if you have, if this is a coverage plan for eye care through your place of work, it's possible that the only way it can be accessed by the eye professional is with your social security number. It's a dangerous, reckless practice, and it's a loophole that the Congress should close so that it doesn't continue putting people at risk of identity theft. Joel? Clark Catherine in New Hampshire says, I'm nervous about the declining U.S. dollar, and I'm wondering if it were a a decent idea to roll my 401k into an IRA and basically have it all in gold. I'm 57 years old, and I'm actually thinking that losing 20% uh, to pull my 401k out and buying real estate or, or owning gold in particular is a better investment 
than where the funds are currently in my 401k with the dollar being so risky right now. All right. That is a question that I'm seeing from a lot of people lately. And going into gold, you know, gold's had quite a run up and gold is much higher than it's been in recent times. And people gravitate to gold. Silver also has had a big run up because of people's concern about the economic environment we're in. If I were making a move based on the possibility of a decline in the value of the dollar, it would be in my retirement account instead of going to precious metals in one way or another, I would go into international investing where growth is going to be higher outside the United States in the future than it is here in the United States. And that would be your hedge, the best hedge I know, against a potential decline in the value of a dollar. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Henrietta's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Henrietta. How are you? I am well. How are you? Great, thank you. So, in the midst of all this, sure, you have someone who's going to be a high school senior this year. Yes, I do. So I'm officially twelve months out from graduation, and I am interested in knowing about whether I have the opportunity of doing a 529 plan for her, would that be a benefit to me now? If you're this close to uh, your child entering college, it can be a benefit. Let me give you two scenarios where it can benefit you when someone's already going to be a high school senior. One is your state may offer a tax credit or deduction for contributions to a 529 plan and so that way your state becomes like your partner in helping defray some of the cost of college as an incentive to get you to contribute to a 529 plan and so that would be the first reason you would do it the second is that If you have money in a 529 plan that has been in your own hands that you had put aside like in a savings account or whatever for college, getting it in the 529 plan improves your child's ability to get financial aid in college. So I don't know, where were you going to come up with the money to go in the 529? Well, I do have a savings account that... um I would move money from to the 529 plan. All right. So that would be, that would be great to do is to move that money. Um, the other thing is that if financial aid is going to be part of the picture for your child, then another advantage of you having money that you have put aside in a 520, uh, in a savings account, moving it to a 529 is you can just let that money grow through the 
freshman and sophomore years and then maybe use some of it in the junior or senior year. And that is a strategy that helps you qualify potentially for, for more financial aid, particularly for the first few years of college. Okay, so if I start a 529 plan now, so because she'll be limited with financial aid in the sense she won't get any, like, uh, Pell's grant because uh, she is coming from a two-parent household. So I've already did, like, the estimator, and they give her $0 for Pell's grant. Oh, don't worry about that because the big money, the big game is what kind of financial aid package and grants and scholarships the university offers that wants her. That's the key. And by the way, I have my 529 plan guide at Clark.com. Look through it. And if your state is on any of my three lists, Dean's List, which is the best, Honor Roll, which is the intermediate, and Teacher's Pet, which are still good plans, but not as good as the others, If your state is on one of the lists, click on the plan I've got and open that plan and put the money in there. But the financial aid thing is uh, partially art, partially science, and there's a lot involved in getting the best financial aid package. But having money in a 529 is generally a better protection than having money in your own name straight out. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. Americans are continually telling pollsters with virtually no variation in percents that overwhelmingly people feel that the country is on the wrong track. And one of the indicators that that is behind that is that a huge percent of Americans are really, really worried about their finances. Think about the tone of the questions that you're hearing on our show and the scenarios people are posting with worries about their own money, the U.S. economies generally. And in that backdrop, listen to this. A new survey published by Bankrate.com finds that half of Americans have seen their incomes drop this year. And most often, it's been through a layoff or furlough, a reduction in hours, reduction in pay. And this has been really, really unsettling, obviously, for the Uh, society in general, but brutal for the individuals who thought everything was just swimming along fine and now find themselves unemployed, underemployed, or fearing being laid off. The reality is that people now expect 
that it's going to take a pretty long time for their finances to return to normal. At first, when pollsters were asking these questions, people thought that they would be back to where they were in a matter of a number of short months. And now the length of time that people expect harm to their finances has risen. And that, in turn, affects people's attitudes going forward. A couple of interesting things in the bank rate survey, different than what I've been saying to you, is they have found near identical numbers of households who are lower on the income scale as higher on the income scale who report that they have had a significant decline in income. Now, people have been affected a number of different ways, and it means that the recovery that we're going to face from the economic decline we've had as coronavirus has gotten a deeper and deeper grip on the United States, as that goes on, as the number of cases is so large each day, unfortunately the loss of life rising significantly in the United States, the worst rate in the world right now, it undermines employer confidence and individual confidence. And so we do have a tough picture right in front of us. I want you to know that I believe that we are going to be okay, that this is going to be a rough year. I expect 21 to be a much different kind of year for the United States, a year of recovery. This year, though, is going to remain very choppy, um, some up, a lot of down, and it is going to be a time that's going to require significant resilience on our part, generosity from those who are more able to help others, and we're going to have to be flexible and adaptable through a time that is going to be hard. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel asking your questions. And who's up? That would be me. And this question is from Janet in Florida. Janet says, okay, I'm getting way too old to remember every password. Which app is safe to keep passwords so I don't have to try to remember anymore? This one's hard. (laughs) Thanks, Kim. (laughs) Sorry. So there are password managers that are considered to be the best there is as a way to both generate randomized passwords and to protect them from uh, hackers that might get at them. There have been occasionally uh, pretty significant breaches of this kind of password management system. But fortunately, those are from a few years ago, and the security levels seem to be better than they were before. There are people that use Google's password manager that comes along if you're in Google's universe for free. There's uh, a whole bunch of them that have been reviewed by various technology sources 
But the two that seem to be the largest in the marketplace are LastPass and Dashlane, among others. And the advantage of having totally randomized passwords is so valuable that it's worth the remote risk that a hacker will get into the app or the service. Joel? Clark Garrett in Georgia says, I'm interested in using Turo to rent a car for a trip from Georgia to Florida. Do you know what my best options for insurance are? I do carry a credit card that offers primary rental car coverage, but do they cover Turo rentals the same way that they would if I got a car from a rental car company? Unless something has changed, the answer is no. I've not seen anything that would say that a credit card with car rental coverage would cover you going on a peer-to-peer car rental kind of thing like uh, using Turo. So you get enormous savings with Turo. Turo provides, with the rental, uh, liability coverage of, if I remember right, a million dollars. And that would be a pretty good shield. But the other question would be to talk to your own automobile insurer which is the key variable in this case, and ask if they have a policy on whether or not you are covered if you use a vehicle that you get on Turo. And Turo is a very popular platform. I would imagine at this point, most auto insurers would respect you and cover you for a rental on the Turo platform. But as far as the credit card covering you, I would be very surprised. Kim? Kenneth in Delaware says, regarding RVs, since it's limited to the places we can go, stay, or play in terms of safety right now, is it a good idea to own one during the pandemic? Pros and cons from a financial aspect, please and thank you. So RVs are in hyper demand right now. And unless you have had significant experience renting RVs in the past, using RVs in the past, I discourage you from buying one right now. The dealers are in a position where the prices of them have moved up quite a bit. The price points of RVs are very cyclical depending on the demand for them at the time because people feel a lot safer right now traveling by RV. The cost of buying one way up the cost of renting one up as well. But if you called me outside of this year and said, hey, I'm thinking of buying an RV, I would ask you how many times have you traveled by RV? And if it's been very rare, I would recommend that you rent several times for vacations before you make a buy or no buy decision on an RV. Years ago, I told the story, I think I have it in one of my books, about a couple that decided when they hit retirement that they were going to use RV as a lifestyle. They'd never done one. They bought an expensive one, used it one time, parked it, and never used it again. Joel? Clark Santricia in Georgia says, I have a small home-based business. I used to list my home address as my business address, but I quickly found that to be a mistake. 
For the last year, I've had a P.O. box and used that address, but for some business purposes, like opening a checking account and getting a business license, they don't accept P.O. box addresses. Recently, I became aware of virtual offices. I was offered to use a suite address in a business office park that I'm really familiar with uh, for $65 a month. My concern is that when I Google the address, uh, several business names came up. So what are your thoughts on using a virtual office address for a small home-based business? And does it seem unprofessional if someone researched that address and found multiple businesses at the same location? So I think there's no problem with using virtual office space. It's a very common accepted practice. There are, I don't know, a few million people that use those actually physically use them, not just as a virtual. And so and if you're not engaged in a high dollar ticket kind of endeavor, people aren't normally going to be Googling to see are you real or not, and it would not become a red flag to someone. The ability for you to reduce the exposure of people knowing your home address, your personal life details, could make it very worthwhile for you to do this and the cost is very low and i think the potential downside is very low too kim this is from deidre in georgia and deidre says what is the credit report website clark recommends to check your score credit karma credit karma makes access to your scores a facsimile of them free from two of the three major credit bureaus. You can visit as often as you want. They give all the stuff away for free in order to be able to solicit you to sign up for various products, none of which you have to sign up for. But it gives you a lot of tools that if you're trying to improve your credit, you see ways you can do so. I find it to be a, a very well-thought-out website and very comprehensive. In addition, most credit cards that you have, if you sign into their websites, will provide you for free whenever you want it with your actual FICO score for that type of credit from the bureau they draw on. And so that's another way for you to access your credit score at no cost. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, David. How are you? I'm good, Clark. Hey, thanks for your time. And uh, I just wanted to say I really appreciate the ego-free way you help educate us consumers. Well, you are kind to say that. And you are a very versatile guy, aren't you? <laughs> it's been an interesting year, um, which I think everybody can say. But uh, yeah, so I work as an ICU travel nurse, which if you're not familiar, it basically means you take durational contracts. I know someone whose daughter has been doing that forever as a traveling nurse and she goes contract to contract and uh, there'll be times that there's no contract available and there's the uh, gap between work. I don't know if you've ever experienced that yourself. Primarily voluntarily, um, like now, uh, there's a lot of contracts. My, with COVID situation, my phone's actually ringing off the hook from recruiters asking me to come work in uh, you know some hotbed states. But uh, in that process, I've accumulated four different retirement accounts. So I have two 403Bs, a 401K, and from a prior career, I have a thrift savings plan. Uh, all told, they have about $15,000 uh, total. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm kind of preparing for um, next year. So 
my wife's graduating uh, from her OBGYN residency and I'm graduating from law school. So we expect our income to pick up and I kind of want to be prepared. Um, wait, wait, wait. You're going from being year. you're going from being an ICU nurse to a lawyer? So that's correct. Wow. You like school. You spent a lot of time <laughs> in school. It's my third degree, so I hope it's my last. Um, wow. Yeah, All right. You know, there's a lot of nurses that are looking to kind of um, uh, move up the chain, and uh, a lot of them are doing nurse practitioners. But when I got a lot of friends who are having trouble finding those jobs, uh, so I kind of went an alternate route. Right. So with all these retirement accounts, you don't want to have all these other than the TSP. If you have enough money in it, you just leave it be for the rest of your working lifetime because the thrift savings plan for federal workers and military personnel has the lowest management costs of any retirement plan offered in America. So that one you want to leave as it is. The others, Even if it's you're a gonna, fairly small cash amount? Even if it's a fairly small cash amount, have it in the um, okay. in the uh, life cycle fund geared towards when you likely think you're going to retire. And just let that one grow for a while because everything about it is good. The other three, the two 403Bs have a complicating factor. They may have what's known as surrender charges in them for you moving the money out. Most 403B plans are with hideous insurance companies that offer atrocious plans with extremely high costs in them. And uh, so you've got to know for those before you would go about moving them somewhere else, because I don't want the money in those, you got to make sure you're what's known as outside surrender for each of them. So I'm giving you okay. like a little part-time activity you got to be involved in with those. But really, once you land, yeah, once you land on your feet as a lawyer, uh, you hopefully will have access to a 401k plan, and your goal will be to move both of those 403bs when they're outside surrender, and move that 401k into your 401k plan you'll have at your first job out of law school, so that you consolidate them all in one place. The other alternative that would not require you to wait till then is you could move the money into your own IRA and do it with one of the low-cost companies. I have a, a list on my investment guide at Clark.com of the low-cost companies and what I'd want you to put the money into. And you could go ahead and do that now. You know, you could set up an IRA. You fill out a form with them three times over in your case to migrate the money from the 401k, they'll handle that for you, and from the two 403bs. But again, the 403bs, you got to know if you're still subject to surrender charge. And until those surrender charges are over, you have to leave those as prisoners of the plans they're in. But you want everything consolidated in one place instead of having all these piddly accounts rolling around. And I hope that helps. And again, I'm impressed with all the education going on in your household. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. 